In October of 2019, before the pandemic ever began, myself, my wife, Sarah, and my mother-in-law, Sally, were flying home from Louisiana with Sarah and I's four kids. And we had an amazing week there visiting Sarah's family, but we were tired and exhausted and ready to get home. Our flight was scheduled to leave at 7 p.m., but it kept getting delayed all the way to the point of not taking off until 11 45 p.m. And if you've ever flown with kids, it literally is like heaven on earth or it's an absolute nightmare. And by 11.45, our kids were at their breaking point. Well, we land in Dallas at about 3 a.m. and we head to a hotel with only about a few hours to sleep before we have to get up and catch our next flight. Now, all of our luggage was left at the airport in the airplane. We could not have access to it at all. And let's just say our youngest Levi, who was about a year and a half, had soiled every single outfit and item he had. In fact, it was so bad that that morning when we woke up, we dug into the diaper bag and the only thing that we had for him was a belly shirt. This shirt was way few, two sizes too small. He was wearing it, rocking the belly shirt, didn't even have pants, had like two diapers on him. As we were about to put his socks on his feet, one of his sisters grabs his socks and throws it in the bathtub. They're sopping wet. So he has no socks, no pants, a belly shirt, and we are headed to the airport. Well, once we get on the airplane, all Levi wants to do is walk up and down the aisle. And at this point, I am operating on a few hours of sleep. I am so exhausted. I am so ready to be home. And I am just walking up and down the aisle with my belly shirt wearing son and his bare feet and no pants on. A flight attendant, a very nice and kind flight attendant comes up to me and she says, sir, I just want you to know that the, the aisleway is, is really dirty. And do you happen to have any socks that your son could wear? And friends, the pastor card had gone out the window hours before this. I was so tired and fed up and exhausted that I looked at her in a very unpastoral way. And I said, ma'am, here's the deal. I'm operating on a few hours of sleep. Our kids are going crazy. My son Levi has ruined every single outfit he has. That's why he's wearing a belly shirt. His little sister threw his socks in the bathtub. So no, I don't have any socks for him and I'm at the end of my rope. Friends, maybe right now you are at the end of your rope. Maybe 2020 and 2021 has taken you to the end of your rope. Maybe you've had some experiences recently that have just got you feeling like you are at the end of your rope. Well, if that's you, then I'm so excited that you are joining us today because we are beginning an eight-week journey through the book of Colossians where we will discover together that Jesus is greater than everything. In fact, that's the title of our series. And this one goes out to all of you mathematicians, all of you math professors, all of you students in calculus, or those of you that are trying to understand common core math. This one goes out to you. And what we are going to see is through this letter over and over again, that Jesus is greater than our fears, that Jesus is greater than the obstacles we will face, that Jesus is greater than anything that could come between us and him. 
And you see, it wasn't just me that was at the end of my rope or maybe you at the end of your rope, but I believe that when Paul was writing this letter, he might've been at the end of his rope because as the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, he was in prison. His plan A had not come to fruition. This was by far his plan C and yet God used him to write this incredible letter. He may have been imprisoned in Rome. Maybe he was imprisoned in Caesarea or possibly in Ephesus. Wherever he was at, God used him to write this incredible letter to this diverse group of people with Jews and Gentiles in one church. Now remember, Jews and Gentiles had hundreds of years of hatred and tension and even racism between them. In fact, it would have been so much easier for Paul, the apostle, to start Jewish churches and to start Gentile churches. But instead, Paul decided to start one church in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's a little bit about the book of Colossians. Colossians was a letter written by the apostle Paul from prison in the year 60 AD to the diverse house churches in the town of Colossae. Now, as we begin this study, I'm so excited for what our creative communications teams have put together. The first resource that we have for you that you can download online or pick up here at church is our daily reading journal, which is gonna help you every single day using the SOAP Bible study method to get the most out of the book of Colossians. And you'll be able to journal and take notes. And I think you're going to really, really enjoy this. And as well, we have every single Sunday, our study guide for you that includes the sermon notes, but it also includes a study guide portion for you and your friends and family and your life group to process together. And our creative communications team would love to offer this to you to download and they'd even love to mail it to your house. So you can go to purposechurch.com and sign up to have it mailed to you every single week or to download it for yourself. Well, the town of Colossae was about 80 miles east from Ephesus, which Ephesus was a city on the coast, which is in modern day Turkey. And it's believed that while Paul was preaching in Ephesus for two years, that the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, eventually got to the city of Colossae. And Paul is writing a letter to this church that he's never even visited before. But it's incredibly important for them to understand that Jesus is greater than any obstacle they are facing, including a religion that was springing up, that was trying to pull Christians away from following Jesus. And that religious system was called Gnosticism. Now here's a little bit of what Gnostics believed. Gnostics believed that God was hidden, that Jesus was a lesser deity, that knowledge was supreme, and the mind is far more valuable than the body. And with that as the backdrop, Paul writes this letter to this group of Jesus followers to encourage them and remind them that Jesus is greater. Well, what we're gonna do with our time together is we're gonna look at an encouragement from Paul to each one of us. And then we are gonna look at a challenge 
from Paul for each one of us. But first, let's start with an encouragement for today. Find me in Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse one. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. First off, Paul is saying, hey guys, as I write this letter to you, you need to know that this was not my idea that this was actually by the will of God. He's saying, remember, I used to persecute Christians. I mean, Paul was known for trying to tear down and destroy the body of Christ. He oversaw the persecution of Jesus followers and then God called him and changed his life forever. But then Paul says, you know, I'm not doing ministry alone. I'm doing ministry with Timothy. I'm doing ministry with a partner, with somebody who is as passionate as I am. Then in verse two, we see Paul continue the opening of his letter to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. This was not accidental vocabulary here. Paul is very intentional in saying, you Jews and Gentiles who have spent a lot of time disagreeing with each other, separate from one another, you need to know that in Christ, you are brothers and sisters, that you are a family. This means for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that Christians around the world, that Christians that sit near to us, Christians that vote differently, that think differently on certain issues, that they are our brothers and sisters, not because we agree on all of the secondary issues, not because we've had the same life experiences, not because we're the same ethnicity, but because we are in Christ. You see, friends, there is no such thing as an only child in the family of God. If you're following Jesus and you're not a part of a community, you're not in a life group, you're not doing life with other followers of Jesus, you're missing it. You were made for community, but a community that is defined as being in Christ. New Testament scholar, Dr. Klein Snodgrass says this, Five times Paul uses the phrase Christ in me or Christ in us. And 164 times Paul calls the Christian to be in Christ. If our view of Christianity is limited to Christ being in me or in us, we will never have the theological resources to join him in works of reconciliation and justice. But if our view is expanded to see faith as fundamentally about being in Christ, our framework changes. Our very identity is seen through the lens of being joined to Christ. And we look to participate in the kingdom work that Jesus is always doing. Friends, we are in Christ as brothers and sisters. And then Paul says a phrase that in every single one of his New Testament letters, all 13 of them, he says, and it's this, grace and peace to you from God, our father. It's no accident that Paul puts grace before peace. In other words, Paul is saying, if you wanna truly experience peace in your life, 
you've got to experience the grace of God over your life. That if we want to experience peace in our society, it is only going to happen when we have grace, when we have experienced the overwhelming gift and love and grace of Jesus. And then we extend that grace to others. In other words, Paul is trying to say that so many of us are spending so much time trying to find peace apart from grace. And remember, grace is that good gift that God gives us that we don't deserve. And so I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to extend grace this week to somebody you disagreed with last week. Can I just talk to the Jesus followers, the Christians here for a minute? There's something that's been grieving my heart and it's that as I watch all kinds of different news outlets and I really try to watch all kinds of different sources of news, I notice one thing that they have in common and it's this. They talk louder and they talk faster and nobody listens. Nobody extends grace. Everybody is talking louder and faster. It doesn't matter what news outlet you tune into, whatever you're listening to, that is what is happening. And here's what grieves me. And here's what breaks my heart is I'm afraid that us as Christians, that as Jesus followers, we have, be, we have adopted the cadence and the conduct of our favorite news anchor, and we have abandoned the cadence and the conduct of our Lord and Savior. We sound a lot more like them and we are increasingly sounding less and less like Jesus. And so this week, I wanna challenge you to do something kind for somebody who hurt you last week. I wanna encourage you to serve, to send a kind word, to encourage, to help somebody that you disagreed with last week. Paul continues to encourage them in verse three. He says, we always thank God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Verse five, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the message of the gospel. Paul says your faith and your love is breaking records. Your faith and love is renowned. All of us are hearing about it and we are all aware of it. And yet your faith and love is so profound because it's tethered to your hope for heaven. Friends, what is your love and faith tethered to. The, uh, the 19th century Scottish missionary abolitionist and activist, John G. Patton, he, he, he felt called by God to go to the South Pacific Islands to promote emancipation and freedom for those that were enslaved, to share the good news of Jesus. And he became so passionate about this group of people that he began to learn their language. And then he translated the New Testament in their language. And when he was trying to figure out how to talk about faith, how to, how to define the word faith in terms that they would understand, he came to this. Faith is leaning your whole weight upon something. Friends, if 2020 and 2021 have revealed anything, it's that the chairs and the tables that we were leaning our whole weight on have broken underneath us. That we are in desperate need of a new kind of faith 
in Christ, where we lean up our whole selves against him, trust him with every part of our lives and follow him wherever he calls us to go. You see, Paul is trying to encourage these people as I'm trying to encourage you because he knows and you know if you're a leader, whether you're a leader in your family or you're a leader in your workplace, that whatever you cheer on will carry on. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here. You know, just earlier this week, I had the opportunity to have coffee with the founder of a well-known real estate company here in Pomona. It's the Avery Group. And this group is absolutely incredible. Tons of the staff actually come here to Purpose Church. The founder himself is a man named Jerry who has a passion for Jesus. And his model for his company is building people first. And the reason I wanted to get together with Jerry was because I watched a video with him and underneath his name, Jerry, came up his title, CEO and founder. And right underneath that, he defined what he meant by CEO. This is how he defined CEO, chief encouragement officer. You see, what I love about what Jerry's teaching us is that we can be chief encouragement officers everywhere we go. If you're a leader in your family, you can be a chief encouragement officer. If you're a leader in the workplace, you can be a chief encouragement officer. If you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, you can be a chief encouragement officer. If you're at an entry-level position beginning in school, if you're the president of of a university or you're the president of a company, you can choose to be a chief encouragement officer. And encouragement is oh so important. It's why the founder of Chick-fil-A said it this way, who needs encouragement? Anyone who is breathing. Well, Paul continues in verse six, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Friends, the gospel is for everyone everywhere and it has the power to reach everyone everywhere. And so we discover how the gospel eventually got to the people of Colossae in verse seven. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. You see, it was Epaphras who shared the gospel with his town, with his community. And it begs the question, who will learn about the gospel from you? In fact, one of the things we talk about here at Purpose Church is that we all have an oikos. We all have a group of eight to 15 in our sphere of influence, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces. And God has called you to share the gospel with them. And what I want you to do right now, whether you're taking notes at home or later as you're watching this, maybe write it in your phone. I want you to commit to sharing the gospel with and write the name of that person that you're going to commit to sharing the gospel with this year. And so Paul starts with reminding the Christians that they can live a life, that they can follow Jesus, that Jesus is greater than the status quo, religion or life 
And it begins with Paul encouraging them and speaking life into them. But now Paul has a challenge for tomorrow. He has a challenge for you and I, and it begins in verse nine. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. See here, Paul is saying that he, that God desires to give you a full understanding, the full knowledge of his will for your life, that God wants you to know him and that it's gonna take your whole life to do that. What what Paul is saying is you can't outgrow Jesus. If you think you've outgrown Jesus, you have missed him completely. It's why in another letter in Philippians chapter three, verse eight, Paul says, what is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Let's just say that word garbage is an incredibly powerful, potent, intentional word where Paul is saying everything is garbage compared to knowing Jesus because Jesus is greater. So what I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about is, is really the answer to this question. How can Christians avoid status quo and live differently in the world? How do, how, do we, how do we avoid status quo? If Jesus is greater than status quo, how do we avoid status quo and live differently in the world? What does that look like? Well, the first thing it means is this. We aim to please Jesus. We aim to please Jesus. Look at the first part of verse 10. Paul says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. You see, friends, we need to stop trying to be liked by everyone and instead focus on being like Jesus. Let go of trying to be liked by everyone and fix your mind and heart on being like Jesus. The goal is always to please Jesus. In fact, this could be like the mantra for your life. In other words, why should you love your enemies? Because it pleases Jesus. Why should you serve your family? Because it pleases Jesus. Why should you care about your neighbors? Because it pleases Jesus. Why should you be generous? Because it pleases Jesus. Can can I just talk to, to especially my generation for a minute? I mean, everyone else can listen in, but especially to my generation. Friends, we, we need to step it up when it comes to our tithing and our generosity. We need to step it up in terms of our financial investment in what God is doing in his kingdom. Remember, Jesus was the one when he was talking to a group of Pharisees, he said, don't give up tithing, but continue to be passionate about justice. You see, Jesus desires that we would be passionate about the things that he's passionate about and that we would give generously, that we would trust him with our finances, that that the 10% of, of whatever it is that God blesses us with, we would give it to him 
knowing that he is gonna use it in incredible ways. Friends, when you tithe here at Purpose Church, do you know that your money is going further, farther, faster? It's like a holy mutual fund in some ways, right? For every $100 you give, you know that you're impacting people in Zambia. You're helping the gospel go out there. You're, you're planting churches in Egypt. You're reaching students and kids here in our Pomona area. You're helping to take care of the homeless. You're serving those that have been victims of human trafficking, that when you tithe and when you choose to be generous, you please Jesus. See, that's the goal. That's how we live differently. That's how we live a better, bigger life that isn't just status quo, but is compelling and is powerful and changes us. It's when you focus on pleasing Jesus. You see, there's two mentalities you can have. You could have a, I have to mentality or I get to mentality, right? Nobody says, I have to go to Disneyland or I have to celebrate my birthday. No, 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 that, those aren't I have to mentalities. Those are I get to mentalities. And yet so much of our life, we, we live in the bucket of, I have to do this. One of our leaders, uh, one of our former high school ministry life group leaders uh, was a guy named Johnny Reynoso. And Johnny's a part of this uh, church, him and his beautiful and amazing wife, Paige, and, and, and their little beautiful daughter, Penny. And they're just incredible people. And I remember I was at a, uh, I was at a leader meeting with Johnny and, and Johnny was describing a student that he was going to pick up who lived far away from the church. And he just said this phrase, Johnny said, yeah, so I'm gonna, uh, I'll leave work and then I get to go pick up this student and then I'll bring him back to church. And I paused him and I said, Johnny, did you hear what you just said? You said, I get to. See friends, I think Jesus is inviting us to live with a get to mindset because it pleases him. In fact, I want you to answer this question this week. I want you to fill in this blank. This week, I get to because it pleases Jesus. I get to tithe. I get to serve my neighbors. I get to lead my life group. I get to parent my children because it pleases Jesus. Number two, the second thing that Christians do to avoid status quo is they point others to God. Look at the second part of verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. One of my favorite leadership books recently is one that Pastor JT shared with us called Lead Like Jesus, which by the way, it's his birthday today. And so let's throw him some love, maybe email him, uh, text him, let him know that you love him. It's his birthday. We're so excited that he's a part of our team. And in this book, there's just this simple question and it's borrowed from Jesus. And I just love the way it reads, are you here on earth to serve or to be served? Maybe today you need to ask yourself the question, is today about me or is today about Jesus? You see, Jesus following is about integrating our minds and our bodies in alignment with Jesus. It's about integrating what we think and how we live and aligning all of it with Jesus. And when we do that, we will point others to Jesus. It's why in Matthew chapter five, verse 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. But friends, the reality is we haven't always gotten this right. 
uh, one of my favorite autobiographies is written by a runaway slave, freed man, Frederick Douglass, who was a follower of Jesus, who, who wrote in such compelling ways about his story. In it, he's describing his journey. And he says, in, the, in August of 1832, my master attended a Methodist camp meeting held in the Bayside, Talbot County, and there experienced religion. I indulged a faint hope that his conversion would lead him to emancipate his slaves. And that if he did not do this, it would at any rate make him more kind and humane. I was disappointed in both these respects. It neither made him to be humane to his slaves nor to emancipate them. If it had any effect on his character, it made him more cruel and hateful in all his ways. For I believe him to have been a much worse man after his conversion than before. It struck me in his autobiography how he tells a few of these stories. And yet he, he also tells a story of a man named George Cookman, who was a Methodist minister who actually went around trying to convince slave owners in the name of Jesus to emancipate and free their slaves. And so we don't have to give into our past the ways that we haven't done this well, but we can live lives that point others to God. The third way that we can avoid status quo is we can commit to always growing. Look at the last part of verse 10. Growing in the knowledge of God. I love the way that uh, Proverbs talks about wisdom and righteousness. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter nine, verse nine. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. You see, here, here's, here's a little tip. Here's something I've learned. Wise people get wiser. Righteous people are humble enough to grow and to continue. You see, we have an opportunity to continue to always grow in our relationship with Jesus. And I just wanna talk to you families that are at home right now. We have two incredible resources for you. I just wanna brag on our amazing Purpose Kids team. Every single week, our Purpose Kids team puts together videos for you to watch. In fact, you could go there after this service and watch them with your families. Our family, we watch it every Saturday night together. We go to purposechurch.com slash kids and they're funny, there's music, there's teaching, they're interactive. And my favorite part is our Purpose Kids team asks questions and then invites you to pause the video and to actually discuss it as a family. Parents, guardians, grandparents, aunts and uncles, you have a unique opportunity in this COVID season where you are with your kids more than ever to disciple them, to invest in them, to grow with them. If you are a parent and you have not utilized these resources yet, I could not encourage you more. You don't have to be a Bible scholar you just have to be intentional. You just have to be willing to carve out some time. Or maybe you have a student that is in grade five through 12. Well, our Purpose Students team puts on a program every single Wednesday night online or in person. And through our text updates, we send out a family conversation guide, two opportunities, two guided conversations for you to interact with your teenager 
about what they're learning on Wednesday night. And you can subscribe to those text updates by going to purposechurch.com students. You can watch the YouTube show and you can have intentional conversations that we want to help you with, with your teenagers. But maybe the reality is, is you're disengaged right now that you're just not sure what you believe, that you've walked away and maybe you concluded that faith, it's it's illogical. There's no evidence for it. I'm so proud a few weeks ago, uh, some of our high school student leaders, Gaius and Matthew and Jaden, put on an incredible event that their coaches and mentors and leaders, Haley and Nick, who are some of our high school ministry interns, helped them to put together. And it was an apologetics night where they talked about reasons to believe in Jesus. And there was one quote that Gaius specifically said that I love, that I wanted to borrow and share it with you. And the quote is this, all of the New Testament writers except Luke were Jews. They were already God's chosen people. What motive would they have for waiting to, or for wanting to invent a resurrected Jesus? This got them excommunicated from synagogues, beaten, tortured, and killed. Last time I checked, that wasn't, that was not on a list of perks. See, following Jesus as you're committing to growing, you will find that there are more and more logical reasons for making Jesus the Lord of your life. The fourth reason that, or the fourth way that Christians can avoid status quo is by becoming resilient and patient. Verse 11, Paul continues. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, now this word right here, endurance, it literally means to hold your position in a battle. And the word patience means to have self-restraint, even when someone is attacking you. Friends, we can't, there's no way that we, we cannot become, that you cannot, that I cannot become an enduring and patient person without having something difficult to endure and someone difficult to be patient with. One of the other books I'm reading right now in this season is a book called Letters to a Birmingham Jail where modern day pastors are almost writing back to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And at the beginning of this book, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is, is it's, it, his letter from the Birmingham jail is recorded. And, and you probably remember that letter was inspired by a group of clergy that wrote to Dr. King and said, you should not be here in Birmingham doing what you're doing, engaging in these marches. This is not okay, you shouldn't be here. This was from a group of religious leaders. And Dr. King writes these words, in any nonviolent campaign, there are four basic steps. Collection of the facts to determine whether injustices exist, negotiation, self-purification, and direct action. That's nonviolent protesting, marching, whatever. Then he says this, 
Self-purification involves answering these questions. Are you able to accept blows without retaliating? Are you able to endure the ordeal of jail? You see, Dr. King walked his team and his people through a rigorous training process to prepare them to have the kind of biblical endurance and patience that would allow them to experience so much pain and to not respond violently, but instead to respond like Jesus would, to have the mindset and the heart and the actions of Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about here, a kind of resiliency that's fueled by the gospel, that's fueled by Jesus. Number five, here's how Christians can avoid status status quo. Express joy about being in God's kingdom. Verse 12 says this. And giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul is wrapping up his thoughts here and he's saying, here is the antidote to jealousy. Here's what's gonna help you get outside of your desire to have what other people have. It is going to be joy. Remember that it is a gift that God has invited you to be in relationship with him, that God has brought you into his kingdom. In in other words, joy is the greatest weapon against jealousy. Joy is your greatest weapon against jealousy. And then lastly, Paul says, if you want to avoid status quo and live differently in the world, Be obsessed with the gospel. Verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is your obsession What are you fixated on? What is the hill that you are willing to die on? For Paul, it was the gospel. It didn't matter that he was at the end of his rope. It didn't matter that he was in prison. It didn't matter that he didn't know if he would live to the next day. The hill that he was willing to die on, the thing that captivated his heart and his mind, his North Star, the thing that grabbed his attention was the good news of Jesus because Paul had experienced with his own life that the gospel changes everything. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, then you are missing out on the power of the gospel that will literally bring about redemption and forgiveness. Friends, Satan's kingdom, it's characterized by condemnation and shame. If you're feeling condemnation, and you're feeling shame, and you feel buried underneath that, that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. But God's kingdom, Jesus's kingdom, is characterized by redemption, being being brought back to life by God through the forgiveness that he offers you and me. By his death and by his resurrection, you and I have new life because friends, Jesus is greater. 
And Jesus is greater than status quo. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together today in your word. I pray, Lord, that as followers of Jesus, that we would reject status quo, that we would live differently because our Jesus is greater. And for anyone tuning in or watching who hasn't chosen to follow you, you, Lord, I pray that they would see that everything else is lesser than and that Jesus, you are everything and that you are the greatest. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.